I am so thankful that I get the opportunity to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, It is definitely an honor and a privilege. If you all recall, last week we wrapped up, uh, Pastor Carlos uh, wrapped up our series in Revelation where um, he preached over the um, last two chapters. And as you know, Revelation is really talking about the second coming of our Lord and Savior. And uh, we are getting ready to transition into um, a time when we get to celebrate the first advent of our Lord and Savior. And so um, today we will be walking through uh, the first half of John chapter 1. So if you would just uh, turn uh, in your Bible with me or open up your Bible app to John chapter 1. For those that don't know me, my name is Moses Saldivar and I have the honor and privilege um, to serve here on staff here at Christ Midtown to serve this wonderful church family. And uh, I am so blessed to be able to um, honestly do this as a job, right? Um, so thank you for allowing me to serve you this way. Um, if you're a guest with us, whether you are in person or if you're online, um, know that we are so thankful that you're here and welcome. Welcome. We pray that um, you are uh, being made uh, to feel like you are a part of our family already. And we're so thankful that you get, that you get to worship with us this morning. So one of the things that I want to start off with is I just have a question for us this morning. And something just to think about as we we get ready to to walk through this chapter. How would you define old, you personally? How would you define old? And think about how you perceive time. And I know for each of us, the answer to that question is going to be different. and, And there's lots of different things that are going to influence how we perceive time. That could be our life experiences. That could be um, the generation that we grew up in. Maybe even our cultural background. You know, for my kids, it all revolves around the internet. And I'm sure some of you in here can relate with that. Um, And and it's this idea that the internet, um, that it preexisted all creation, that it was always there. They don't know of a time where it didn't exist. And, you know, when that becomes really evident whenever we go to visit my in-laws out in West Texas, and they get really frustrated whenever they, we lose our cell phone signal and things won't load on their iPads. And for them, you know, the, the internet is this ubiquitous thing, and it's everywhere, and, and it should just work. I think all of us feel that way sometimes, but especially our kids. Uh, and it's really confusing to them when they really start thinking about, uh, when I start kind of sharing with them uh, this idea that there was a time when on-demand everything just, it wasn't a thing, especially when it comes to TV. You know, our family, we cut the cord a long time ago, and I remember the first time they actually had to watch something, and a commercial or an ad showed up, and it, they just, they were totally confused. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand why they had to wait. They thought their iPads were broken. Remember coming up to me, Dad, what's going on? I don't understand what's going on. And then I remember sharing with them that there was a time that if we wanted to watch our favorite TV show, it'd only come on once a week if we were lucky, and then only at a certain time. And then if we missed it, we might not see it for a while again, or if ever. And then, you know, when I share that, then they look at me, and that automatically makes me ancient in their eyes. And you wouldn't believe how many times they assume cars didn't exist back in my day because I had to watch a commercial. 
So for me, as a child, I remember asking my mom what the world looked like when it was in black and white. And I wanted to know how the world discovered color. And as I grew older, my perception of time, it, it changed, of course, through every season of life. It, it always seemed to get redefined. For example, this summer, I had an opportunity to go and visit Spain. And while most of my time while I was there, it, was, it really was work-related, um, I did have a free day. And I decided that, you know, wasn't sure the next time I would be able to go out that way. And that is uh, the land of my ancestors. And so I wanted to go into northern Spain, and I wanted to see where our family originated. Um, I, I just I have a fascination with family history and, and things of that nature. And there's a town in northern Spain that bears uh, my family's last name. And I was able to trace my ancestry um, in that area to about the end of the 10th century. And I was able to take pictures of the ruins. There was this ancestral tower, um, like on the edge of the town, um, where um, my, my family uh, settled. And it, at one time, it housed royalty that was uh, before the time of the reconquest of Spain by the Catholic kings. And in my mind, honestly, it was really hard to fathom this idea that I was touching this structure that was well over a thousand years old. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, that's old. So thinking along those lines, it just becomes really hard for me even to contemplate and try to quantify this idea of eternity. For my kids, five minutes is an eternity. For me, as I've gotten older, it's this time between the first advent and the second advent. And I'm like, that feels like an eternity. Where are you, Lord Jesus? But for an eternal God, whether it's five minutes or 5,000 years, 2 Peter 3.8 tells us a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years are like a day. And that's in the eyes of God. So in many ways, time and age, they're relative to the one who is experiencing it. So why is this important? As we prepare to celebrate and, and remember the first coming of Christ, that first advent, and we await the second, we should remember that before time began, that the Jesus that we're waiting on and the Jesus that we proclaim is the God that once was and is and is to come. My hope is, is that as we read and we study his word together this morning, that we'll see that Jesus was not only pre-existent, he's also the very power of God himself, and that he's preeminent. That's to say that his glory, his fame, his renown has no peer, and it's superior to all things. And the implications of that should drive us to respond to him for who he is. So if you would... If you haven't already, let's turn to John 1, and we're going to walk through the first 18 verses together. But as we do that, I want us to just start with the first five. So I'll go ahead and read that. Um, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So these five verses, there's a lot in there. In the beginning, those words, those three words take us back to the very beginning, back to Genesis and the creation of the world. And it was during the creation story we see quickly that God speaks it all into being using just his words. In the first verse of John, we see that the word, word, is used three times. It's used purposely. It's used purposely because in this instance, word is used as a name for Jesus. Word or logos in Greek would have been a term that would have been familiar to both Jew and Gentile. For the Greek, logos was, act, was an active, rational, and spiritual principle that permeated all reality. It was something that they referred to as the soul of the universe. And for the Jew, Philo of Alexandria, he was a first century Jewish philosopher. He explained it as the agent of creation or the intermediary between God and creation. You can hear some similarities in there. So John took this one step further and he explains that the Logos, the agent of creation, was there at the beginning with the Father or God and that he himself is God. Not a separate God, not a created being, but is God himself. We also see in that verse, or in verse three, that this Logos is the agent of creation, that his hands were intimately involved in the creation of the universe, and that nothing was created apart from him. Jesus existed before the world began, before the existence of time. Jesus has always existed. He was there before there was anything. He's preexistent because he was there before there was. He's our spark of life that we see in verse 4 but also our breath as we see in Genesis 2, when God breathed life into man. We also see that he's the light, the light that shines in the darkness in a world where it appears, honestly, like it's falling apart. We see a light in scripture, a light that can't be extinguished. And how do we know that it can't be extinguished? Let's rewind back to what we've been going through over the past semester. Think about the entire book of Revelation. He wins. It's done. It's finished. And we see his preeminence here as well. To help give us a fuller picture I'm going to jump over really quick to Colossians 1, verses 15 and 18, which say the following. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. That's us. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Here we see that not only is it by his hands that all things exist, but he's the one that's holding it all together. Through his conquering of death, he's the firstborn from the dead. But he's been made preeminent in all things. Verses 6 through 8, back in uh, first, John, or first chapter of John, it speaks of the preparation that was made for the ministry of Jesus through John the Baptist. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist's sole purpose was to be about the business of announcing the coming of the Messiah. And if we were to skip ahead to verses 15 as, as well as 19 and 28, what we would see is that he clearly speaks to this and he shares that he's merely a witness, one whose sole purpose is to be one that prepares the way. The passage continues in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Think about this. We just read that we are here because of Jesus, the creator. The creator took on flesh, took on flesh of his own creation, and he came in the form of, of light, a light of truth, one that can't be extinguished no matter how hard the world tries to do it. He's the one who formed the universe, who formed us, who gave us the ability to see. And yet, we refuse to see him for who he is. He came to his people and they would have nothing to do with him. He came to the world 
and the world would not acknowledge him as the king over all that he rightfully is. And yet, in his grace, in his mercy, he does offer us a gift that we don't deserve. He tells us that if we choose to believe, we're allowed to partake in the inheritance of the kingdom. The inheritance of the kingdom that rightfully belongs to Jesus. So when we're accepted into the family of God, we don't have a reason. We have no longer a need to fear or worry or be anxious or lack hope as our hope is in Jesus. And that hope allows us to shine like the sun in our Father's kingdom, as it says in Matthew 13. But we're given a choice to accept or reject this gift of redemption. Let's continue. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He's made him known. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became a man. And this detail is important. Because if he didn't come as a man, then he couldn't be tempted as we were, or as we are, I should say. And he wouldn't be able to defeat temptation along the way. If he didn't take on flesh, he wouldn't have been able to be an example for us. If Jesus didn't take on flesh, he also couldn't have died and paid the penalty for our sins. J.I. Packer says, The crucial significance of the cradle at Bethlehem lies in its place in the sequence of steps down that led the Son of God to the cross of Calvary. And we don't understand it till we see it in this context. The taking of manhood by the Son is set before us in a way which shows us how we should ever view it. Not simply as a marvel of nature, but rather as a wonder of grace. Think about that. The incarnation itself, the act of the incarnation, that was an act of grace on his part. And Jesus is the embodiment of God's glory. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that he's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. If we've seen the Son, then we've seen the Father. Colossians 2.9 tells us that in Christ lives in, in all the fullness of God in a human body. 
It's because of his fullness of deity that he has the power to give us grace upon grace. Although the law that was given to us isn't an instrument of grace, the law is still, or the law still manifests God's grace in the sense that it points us to Jesus. So thinking about that, what should it lead us to do? First, it should put us in a posture where we are exalting him. Because it's through him that God reveals himself. He's the image of the invisible God. And through him, we're able to see his characteristics in a manifest, in a tangible way. Jesus told Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It's through Jesus that we're able to see the character of God. And again, we see his grace and his mercy exhibited in tangible ways through him. It should lead us to exalt him because he's been given authority over all. He's been given the authority to grant eternal life to those who believe in him, and he's been granted authority to exert judgment on creation. We should exalt him because he's the creator. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, both visible and visible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. All things were created by him. And ultimately, We should exalt him because he's worthy. I go back and I think of what we just walked through in Revelation. And it's just a beautiful picture. We see all of this imagery this whole tapestry that uh, it's the culmination of this story. And I remember early on in the faith, and it will especially even as a kid, the idea of, of reading Revelation totally frightened me. Um, you see all of the things that are in there, and um, but the idea that... Um, when we read it, and it says something like, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There's this picture of this lamb literally that was slain and you think, uh, how can that be a beautiful picture? 
but it is. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Think about that. It's a beautiful picture because that blood that was poured out ransomed not just me, you, but we see this picture where it's from every tribe and language and people and nation. How about y'all? But that just gets me excited. That's why I came to Midtown. I can look in this room and see a picture of that. Even if it's a small glimpse of what's to come. I think about it and I, 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 get, I get teary-eyed because it is a beautiful thing. And not only that, but we get to reign, co-reign with our Lord and Savior. We get to participate in something that we do not deserve by any means. Boom. And he's worthy because of who he is and what he's accomplished. It's finished because of him. He's worthy because he's infinitely deserving of our entire being and of everything we have to offer, even if it's already his anyway. Second, because he's worthy, we should be willing to turn our lives over to him and to take his offer of the gift of life. No, we're not deserving of this. But I will say this, that if you're in this room today and you haven't turned your life over to him, what are you waiting for? Yes, time is relative, but one thing that I do see as I do get older is that it really is fleeting. I used to hear that all the time from my parents and um, other family members. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I've got all the time in the world. We don't. So what are you waiting for? And here's the thing. You don't know the number of your days. 
and I'm not trying to frighten you, but the only one that does know is the Lord. And finally, the way that it should push us to respond is an exclamation of who he is. He's given us this message of reconciliation. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you a job to do. We're caretakers of this beautiful message of the gospel. During this Advent season, it's a great opportunity to share it with others. And here's the thing. For those of you who have surrendered your life to Christ, think about what your life was like before. Those things that you felt, the things that you walked through, Is there a change? I hope so. And if there was, why are you keeping it to yourself? People need to hear it. We have the only one true message of hope. The only one that lasts. It should drive us to tell anyone who is willing to hear, and even if they're not willing to hear, it should drive us to talk about who he is and what he's done and his goodness. To talk about his mercy. And to talk about reconciliation the reconciliation that he desires for all of us. So I I have a, a challenge for all of you, myself included. I mentioned earlier that Christmas time is a unique time to be able to share about what Christ has done in our lives, how he has transformed us. And not just because it's uh, the, the Advent season, it's a, a natural time. Um, but many of you, we're going to be traveling. Many of you are also going to stay. We say, as a church, that we are a, um, we are a campus that is um, many people's but una familia, one family. And I know that we desire for this family to grow and not for the sake of Grace Midtown, not for the sake of Grace Bible Church, not for the sake of Bryan College Station. We desire that for the sake of the kingdom, for Jesus because he is worthy. So here's the challenge. If you're in town, invite people in. 
Invite them into your home. Invite them into the rhythms of your life. Um, if the, the thing in the back of your mind where you say, you know what? I, need to get, I just need to get to know my neighbors better. I've done a poor job of that. Guess what? It's time. Invite them in. Show them what it looks like to really celebrate our Jesus. And if you're traveling, awesome, great. But guess what? That great commission that's been given to us, what we've been entrusted with, being a caretaker, it says, as, essentially, as you go, you have an opportunity, I promise you, if you ask the Lord to just give you an opportunity to be able to share or to pour into someone's life, even while you're traveling, he's gonna do it. And I promise you that there are people in your family too, even people that you think may already know who Jesus is. It's your chance to be salt and light and to really be the hands and the feet because you never know. I heard the gospel message from the time that I was a child till 26 years of age and totally did not respond until then. But people who loved me continue to drip, drip, drip. And people continue to pray for me. And you have that opportunity to be able to do that too. So take advantage of it. We have a God who is worthy to be exalted, but he's worthy of all of it, all of it. So let's just lay it at his feet. Let's just do that. Pray with me. Father, Lord, you are good. Thank you for your son. Jesus, right now, we want to exalt your name. You are worthy. You've created us in your image. You desire for us to be reconciled to you. And you've ransomed us. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to participate with you. Thank you for allowing us to walk with you, even though we don't deserve that. Thank you that as we go into this season, this next week of being able to celebrate your first coming, know that we wait expectantly for you to come back. Lord Jesus, please come soon. But Lord, take as many people with you we ask this of you and not for our sakes, not because it would make us feel better of knowing that the people that we love will be with you in eternity. Yes, that's a good thing, but not for our sakes, but for yours, for your fame, for your name, for your glory, because you truly are worthy. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. And in these things we ask in your worthy and majestic name.
Amen.